Angels are a fascinating topic, and yet with all the theories concerning them, how can we know what's fact and what's fiction? In his book called Angels, Dr. David Jeremiah uses scripture to help readers of all ages understand the truth about these agents of heaven. You'll receive angels with our thanks for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for a donation of $70 or more, we'll send you the angels set, which includes a book, study guide, and CD album. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. He was a heavenly being who had it all. Good looks, great skill, glorious acclaim. What went wrong that led God to cast Lucifer from heaven? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at the devil's downfall. What did Lucifer want from God? And what's the takeaway for today's believers? David shares the answers as he introduces the conclusion of his message, The Fallen Angel. You know, one of the things I think about whenever we talk about uh, the devil or Satan is uh, questions people ask me all the time. Uh, Why do you think um, Satan hates the book of Revelation so much? And the answer is because it details his fall, his final demise. And uh, nobody would want to read a book like that. He doesn't want us reading it either. He wants us to go on in ignorance, not knowing who he is, not being prepared to deal with his devices. But the Bible tells us we're not to be ignorant concerning these things. And so we teach it and we preach it and we show you where it is in the Bible. And that's what we're doing in these two days. We'll be back to the fallen angel discussion in just a moment. Tomorrow and Thursday, we're going to talk about hell's angels. That's a discussion of the demonic characters that are all around us. And then Friday, part one of Angels and Death. You can get the book on angels for a gift of any size during this month. It's a 240-page softcover book that will help you separate fact from fiction about angels. It's everything I'm talking about in print, notated, all the illustrations and quotes. And it's yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point during this month. When you send your gift, just say, please send me the book on angels. Or if you already have that book or would prefer something else— We will make available to you this month, Why the Nativity, the entire movie on DVD. During the month of November, you can get that movie and be ready to share it with your family as Christmas approaches. That's right. You can get the entire movie on DVD, or you can actually ask for the book, Why the Nativity. So one of three, three choices. And whatever you do, remember, your gift to Turning Point is so important. It's an investment in the eternity of many people, and we're grateful for your partnership. Here's part two of The Fallen Angel. Lucifer wanted God's power. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. In this statement, Lucifer declares his desire to control all the affairs of the entire universe. The expression, mount of the congregation, is an Old Testament expression that appears several times. It speaks of absolute control. It expresses that which belongs only to God. Here are two passages you can look at. It will help you to understand it. Isaiah 2.2. Shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Absolute autonomy and authority which belongs to God only. Or Psalm 48, 2. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. 
This one, Lucifer, who said, I want to move in and occupy heaven, and I want to bring all the angels under my absolute authority, reached out in his desire for power and said, I also want to bring the entire created universe under my control and include it in my sphere of authority. I want to be in charge of everything. Not good enough to be number two. I want to be number one. I want to call all the shots. I don't want to live under the umbrella of the glory of God. Number four, Lucifer wanted God's perfection. Watch this. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Did you know that there are over 150 references to clouds in the Bible? Well, watch this. Over 100 of the 150 references to clouds in the Bible have to do with the presence and the glory of God. Not where rain comes from, but the presence and glory of God. I put a couple of the references together so you can see what I mean. First of all, Exodus 16:10. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 1 Kings 8.10, and it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. And Matthew 24.30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power, and what's the rest of it? Great glory. What was Satan saying when he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds? What Lucifer was saying here was that he was going to take to himself a greater glory than the glory of God. And you know what? With all due respect to his majesty, Satan, that was a stupid thing to say. Because he didn't even have any glory of his own to start with, did he? The only glory he had was the reflected glory of God. Now he's saying, I'm going to take God's glory. You know what happened to Lucifer? He no longer wanted to be a reflector. He wanted to be an originator. Do we ever have problems like that in our lives? You, Satan has an effect on all of us, doesn't he? When we understand what's really at the seat of his rebellion, we will understand a lot more about who he is and about some of the problems we have in our lives. Number five, Lucifer wanted God's privilege. I will be like the most high. When Satan wanted to do was to occupy the throne of God exercise absolute authority over the angels, bring all the universe under his rule, cover himself with the glory that belonged to God only, and finally be responsible to nobody but himself. This one who was created to glorify God sought to glorify himself through the declaration of his own independence. I will not have him to rule over me. When he said he wanted to be like the Most High, he was ruling out any competitor in his life. This use of the expression, most high, let me show you what it means from a passage in Genesis chapter 14, where we read, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high. Now, what's the last phrase in that verse? Say it out loud together. Possessor of heaven and earth. (laughs) That's what Satan wanted. He wanted to be possessor of heaven and earth and earth. Numero uno. He wanted to be number one. Do you remember centuries later when he took Jesus out into the wilderness to tempt him? He was still up to his old tricks. His third temptation to Jesus was, remember, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all these things. 
He was still trying to get Jesus to be number two. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Matthew 4, 9 and 10. Now all of these thoughts of pride and envy, according to Ezekiel, came from what place? They came from his heart. Notice Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Lucifer's proud heart was the reason for his fall. And the Bible tells us that he did indeed fall. In fact, Jesus said he saw the whole thing happen. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus' words, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus saw it happen. You know, when he fell, he didn't go by himself. He was so influential and so powerful within the angelic realm that he went around among the angels and got people to follow him. You know, the same kind of thing happens today in just about any setting you can imagine. Somebody gets rebellious and they never want to rebel by themselves. They always want company. So they gather a group together and they get people to follow him. And that's what Satan did. And you know what Revelation tells us? Revelation tells us that he was able to get one-third of the entire angelic creation to go with him in the fall. One-third. I don't know how many that is, but that's a lot of angels. And that's why there's so many demons today, because those are Satan's demons. Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. And 2 Peter 2, 4 says, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So what happened was Satan's heart was lifted up in pride. He wanted to take over God's place. And he was banished from heaven. And he took a bunch of the angels with him. And that's how we got Satan and evil in the world today. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, but Pastor Jeremiah, how did this happen? I mean, did God know that the pride in Lucifer's heart would be there when he created him? Yes, because God is omniscient. He knows everything. Could he have permitted it? I have to again say yes, because he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. Then why did he? And I'm tempted to say right here, I don't have a clue. Because that's pretty much what most of the commentaries say. And some of you preachers out there know exactly what I'm talking about. You open the commentary and you want to find out this answer to problem of evil in the world. And Paul calls it the mystery of iniquity. Isn't that interesting? The mystery of iniquity. It is a mystery, isn't it? How did sin get in the world? Here's another part of that question. How could a perfect, holy being fall? Satan didn't have any sinful world to tempt him. He had no tempter to push him. He had no innate sinful nature to overpower him. How could the first unholy affection arise in his angelic being? The answer to both of these hard questions, I'm convinced, lies in the fact that Lucifer was created by God just exactly like you and I have been created by God. With a freedom to choose. God could have created all of us, including the angels, as a bunch of robots. Do you know that? He could have programmed us to do what he says, to walk where he wants us to walk, to say what he wants. We wouldn't come to worship on Sunday of our own volition. We would march in here under the same cadence, file into our roles like some sci-fi film. And we would sing praise to God because we were programmed to do it. And I want to ask you a question. How does God in heaven get glory to his name like that? 
The way God gets glory to his name is when he creates his creatures with full choice. And they have the opportunity to say yes to him and of their volition, of their will to praise him. And two-thirds of the angels, from what I can understand, have still chosen to worship and honor God with their lives. But Satan chose not to. Someone I read wrote this. He was the first from among men and angels who volunteered to haunt the halls of hell because he chose to do it. May I say here for just a moment that when we stand before God someday, if we have not received Christ as our Savior and we are consigned to hell for eternity, we will have all kinds of excuses as to why we are going in that direction, but there will only be one reason, and that is because we chose to do that. You say, well, I never chose to go there. No, but if you chose not to receive Christ by virtue of your choice, you have determined your destiny, just as Lucifer determined his. Now, having looked at these two passages, what do we learn from all of this? I'm always intrigued when I study a doctrine like we're studying right now to ask myself, how does this affect me? And I've written three things down in my notes, and I want you just to remember these. Number one, lesson number one is the power of pride. The power of pride. I wrote this down in the margin of my Bible. Listen to me. Pride turned an angel into a devil. Pride. Did you know what the Bible says about it? In a statement that could be written over the career of Satan, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I found this intriguing passage in the New Testament where Paul was writing to Timothy and telling him about how to build leadership in the church. And he was encouraging him to be careful about taking brand new people in the faith and putting them in a position of authority. And in 1 Timothy 3, 6, he says this, Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Isn't that interesting? Pride is a destroyer. Pride is powerful. And that's why we read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Have any of you ever had problems with that? Figuring out who you are? I told some of you some years ago that back when I first started preaching, I was living in Fort Wayne, and I was asked to go to the Moody Bible Institute to preach because Charles Stanley got sick and he couldn't keep his appointment. I was close by, so they said, would you come? And I said, sure, I'll go. And I got there. They took me into the room to wait, and I was listening to the speaker, and all of a sudden I realized that the speaker who was on before me was Warren Wiersbe. And I'm a young preacher, and Warren Wiersbe's the best Bible teacher in the land, in my estimation. And I'm thinking, how did I get myself in this mess? But then I looked at the clock, and I realized that he couldn't possibly speak until it was my turn. There'd be somebody else. And he quit, and Charles Swindoll took over. And I said to myself, how did I get myself in this mess? <laughs> and I walked around in that room just, you know, thinking. I remember when I got up in front of the group, finally, I said, if you ever ask me to pinch hit again, I want to know what the batting order is. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> but you know what was going on in my heart? This thing right here. Who am I? You know, how do I stack up? How do I measure up? When I first moved to California, everybody used to ask me for my friendships back in the Midwest. Well, Jeremiah, you're out there on the star-studded coast. And they'd start up north and start naming all the famous preachers all the way down the coast. And I was clear down here almost in Tijuana. I'll tell you what. (laughs) 
You know what I found out? I found out I don't need to stack up to anybody. I found out I just got to be who I am before God. But you know what? That's a battle that we fight all of our lives, isn't it? Because pride wants to get in and separate us from our brothers on the basis of envy and the grain sickness. So you can see that Lucifer's sin that turned him into a devil was the sin of self-originated pride. And that's what turned him into the black sheep of God's family. That is what brought God's curse upon him. Because of his pride, the devil became an enemy of humility. And I want you to know that today, man's pride makes him a friend of the devil. Do you know what the book of Isaiah says in that famous verse that we all have learned by heart? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And we've been fighting that fatal flaw in our existence since the day that sin came into the universe. The second lesson I've learned is the purpose of Satan. Not only the power of pride, but you know what Satan wants to do? Watch now. What did Satan do as soon as his heart turned to evil and he decided to rebel against God? What was his first major action? To go get others and take them with him. He corrupted all the other angels that he could get his hooks into. And you know what? That's his purpose for you and for me. Listen to me. If you're not a Christian today, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I'm going to tell you, I know what Satan's purpose for you is. He wants to so deceive you that he ultimately takes you to the lake of fire and to hell with him. That's what his goal is. He wants to take as many people to hell as he can. He wants to keep heaven unpopulated if he can. So if you're not a Christian, here's what he'll do. He'll keep you from hearing the word of God. He'll turn you off to the witness of your wife or your husband or your children. He'll bring you to church and have you daydream so you don't listen to what the preacher's saying. Or he'll bring you to a place where you know what you ought to do and then you'll postpone it. And then after you postpone it, you won't feel the power of the spirit in your life anymore and you'll walk away from it. Satan's goal is to take you to hell with him. You ought to know that. And for those of you who are Christians, he wants to destroy and devour your testimony. He wants to take you as a Christian and corrupt your life in such a way that you are a bad advertisement for God. Is he doing that today? People ask me all the time, what's happened in all of the churches where there's been leadership that's been corrupted and moral problems among the pastors and the staff and what's going on among God's people that there's such a low morality? Satan's doing his work, my friend. He's doing everything he can to destroy the testimony of God's people. And if you don't know that, then you are not listening to what God is saying to you from his word today. He wants to do that to you. One time Jesus was talking to Peter in Luke 22, 31. He said this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us, that we are to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What Satan wants to do to us, what he wants to do to me, what he wants to do to my family is he wants to devour us, to destroy us, to drown us out so that we have no voice or testimony for Jesus Christ. And he will do it if we allow him to. I was thinking about the fact that in the Bible there are over 40 names for Satan. This is what the Bible says about Satan. This is who he is. He's your adversary. He's your enemy. He's the evil one. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. He's a roaring lion. 
He's a tempter. And he's the serpent. That's who Satan is. And he wants to destroy your life. Finally, lesson number three. I want to go back to where we started and then we're finished. Satan is not God's opposite. He is a created being. I want to say this loud enough for all of you to hear it so you don't ever forget it. He is not in God's league. He's a minor leaguer. God's in the major leagues. He's not there. He can create a lot of stress and a lot of trouble. And he's a powerful creature who's done a lot of damage. But when it comes to measuring him up against God, it's a no contest. And we already know who wins. When Jesus went to the cross and died and came out of that grave victorious over death, Satan was ruined. And the judgment has already been pronounced against him. We're just waiting for the sentence to be carried out. So we don't need to be walking around terrorized by the enemy. We already know about him, don't we? We know what's going to happen to him. He's dead in the grass. And he's going to end up in hell forever. The Bible tells us to watch against him, to give him no place, and to resist him. And we can be victorious. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. And we don't have to walk around here feeling like we're upset. In the last part of the century, an artist who was a great chess player painted a picture of a chess game. The players in the picture were a young man and Satan. The young man manipulated the white pieces and Satan the black pieces. And the issue of the game was this. Should the young man win, he was to be forever free from the power of evil in his life. And if the devil won, the young man was to be his slave forever. This picture, which hangs in a gallery in Cincinnati, Ohio, obviously was a testimony to the fact that the artist who painted it believed in the supreme power of evil because he presented the devil as the victor in the picture. In the conception of the artist, the devil had just moved his queen and had announced a checkmate in four moves. The young man's hand hovered over his rook, his face paled with amazement. There was no hope. The devil wins. He would be a slave forever. For years, this is a true story, this picture hung in the art gallery. Chess players from all over the world would come and view it and study it. They acquiesced in the thought of the artist, the devil wins. After several years, a chess doubter arose who studied the picture and became convinced that there was but one chess player on the earth who could give him assurance that the artist of the picture was right in his conception of the winner. The chess player, some of you who have played chess know about, his name was Paul Morphy, a resident of New Orleans, Louisiana. Morphy was a supreme master of chess in his day, an undefeated champion, and he was brought to Chicago to view this picture in the gallery. He stood before the picture for over 30 minutes. He was all concentration. He lifted and lowered his hands as if in imagination he was making and culminating moves. Suddenly his hand paused and his eyes burned with the vision of an unthought of combination. Suddenly he shouted, young man, make that move, make that move, that's the move. And to the amazement of everyone who had studied that picture, all of the old masters who had come to observe, this great master had discovered a combination that the creating artist had not considered, and the young man defeated the devil. I got to tell you something. I know how the chess game comes out, don't you? I know what the last move is. And I know that while I look sometimes at the board today, and it looks like 
I'm in trouble, or we're in trouble, or the church is in trouble. And there aren't any moves left to us. (laughs) The one who's playing the pieces from above already knows. And I want to say this. Satan, you are checkmate. (laughs) Because God has won the victory, and we are going to be victorious in him. Amen. You know, we're going to win the battle. We're going to win the war. But there are going to be many battles between now and then. Every day, the enemy comes for you. Every moment you ignore that he's there, you put yourself in jeopardy. Let's live lives that are filled with truth. And one thing the devil can't stand, he can't stand the truth. Live in the truth. Speak the truth. Don't let anybody dissuade you from the truth. It's a missing ingredient in our culture today. And we, by letting it be missing in our culture, we set ourselves up for defeat. I love the truth. And I pray that you will join me in this incredible determination to live in the truth of God's word. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about hell's angels. Satan isn't alone. Of course, he took a third of the angels with him when he fell. And now we have demonic presence everywhere. All that tomorrow. On the next edition of Turning Point, I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God using this ministry in your life? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. Uplifting and helpful, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, on Turning Point. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game, where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance Set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. If you're a married man, listen to this observation. A psychiatrist is a fellow who asks you a lot of expensive questions that your wife is more than happy to ask you for free. Probably one of the reasons I don't have a psychiatrist is because I have learned to rely on my wife's questions and insights. She knows me better than anyone after more than 45 years of marriage, and her questions and advice about my well-being 
are usually right on target. Men, I encourage you to help yourselves by letting your helpmeet fulfill her God-given role in your life. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons for giving men a wife on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.